The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. I'm so grateful to be here with you on this Thursday morning. Uh, you know, we took a little bit of an extended weekend last week for the holiday, and it was so great to come back on Tuesday and see all of your questions, and we're working through as many of them as we can, as quickly as we can. And uh, we had some that came in overnight that we're going to address as well. And I have to tell you that just I, it's like plugging me in. I, 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 it's like a jolt of electricity. It gives me energy because I, I always want you to know that the show is meant to be interactive. And when you guys interact with us, it's, it's just so much more rewarding for all of us here, especially for me. So keep those questions coming. I always say, you know, that's what we're here for. Make use of it. Uh, it's free and uh, easy, relatively easy to do. And there are lots of different ways to do it. So uh, as I always say in the morning, this is meant to be interactive, so let's give you an idea of how you interact. Emily's going to show you some of the different ways you can be in touch with us. I will remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, lots to do on that page. Don't, don't be deceived. There are many buttons to push, like all of the things on the bulletin boards are interactive. Uh, check them out. Like Push the buttons and see what happens. But two of the main things going on on that page, there's a computer screen, and if you click on the little triangle on the computer screen, you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show or you can go up into the little playlist icon that's in the corner of the screen you can click on that and you can scroll through all the shows that we've done to see what the topics are and pick and choose what show you want to watch or if you know you just missed last Tuesday's show and you wanted to see Mike Porath from the mighty you wanted to hear about that then you know you can just go to that episode uh, now to the other side equally important are the uh, series of white boxes there's two white boxes there and the first one says Shannon is answering right now and often it's not me answering the question but that's okay right you get the idea below that it says your question that's where you want to put your cursor that's where you want to start typing you hit enter and it shows up here on my screen I always warn you there's a little bit of a lag a, a little bit of a delay so especially when we have guests ask your question as early as possible uh, because more often than not what happens is they walk out the door and then the question pops up so ask it as early as possible although we do relay them the question and sometimes hook you up with the person. I know somebody had written in yesterday to let our guests know that you loved their name, that uh, their son is named Anakin. And they did get to hear that. Uh, they were out the door already. And I said, somebody said to tell you they love your child's name. And they so appreciated that. So wanted to make sure that I let you know that that message got carried for. But do ask the question as early as possible. It's the best way to be able to interact with 
our many guests that we have on the show. And you can interact with me as well. I love it when we get to have a conversation because you know what I always say, we can get through all anything together. We all hold hands together and we can do this. You say puede, right? Okay, so do participate. I do like to remind you at the start of the show that while I have tons of experts who come on the show on a regular basis, I do not count myself as one of them because, well, I'm not an expert. I, um, I want you to know what my credentials are why, and why I'm here. You know what they always say about know what your why is, and the why is very important, why we do what we do. In fact, it's even the case for the individuals who are on the autism spectrum when we're wanting to change behavior, we got to know what the why is, right? So I am a mom of a son who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. He is now 11. How did that happen? I don't know. Um, but he's the light of my life. Oh my goodness. I couldn't be more proud of him. I, I just couldn't be. Uh, and he surprises me every day uh, with the things that he can do and the insights that he has. And I know that I'm a very lucky person. I know that this is not one size fits all, but I am a hundred percent sure that my child who was very profoundly affected by autism when we first got the diagnosis, would not be where he is today if we had not gotten the help and the intervention that we got. It just wouldn't have happened. And, and I always say to you guys, you know, it didn't happen because I had piles of money sitting around earmarked for nothing. That sure wasn't the case. And it didn't happen because I knew so much about autism. That for sure wasn't the case. It happened because I got incredibly lucky. I had my ears open. I will say that. And it's important to have your ears open. But I met the right people at the right time who told me about the right resources and gave me the right phone number to call. And I followed through on it. Right. But I, if I hadn't run into them, I wouldn't have had anything to follow through on. I would have been one of those people who sat around and said, well, I'm not doing that ABA thing because my developmental pediatrician told me that it would turn my child into a robot. And that's what I was listening to, ladies and gentlemen, because we're taught to listen to our pediatricians. And if you take the time to go see a developmental pediatrician who has an expertise in autism, then she should know. Right. Well, Thank goodness I didn't listen to her. Thank goodness that I listened to some other people because the truth of the matter is, is it's not that that de developmental pediatrician is some evil woman. There were just things that she didn't know because none of us can know everything. And especially in the field of autism, you know, things change. And, and she was an older practicing doctor and she had a very old idea of ABA and did not know what it was capable of doing, even though the Surgeon General had already said it was the gold standard in treatment, she was still going off of her old idea of what she thought ABA was. Uh, you know, she I'm sure she meant well, um, you know, but the fact remains, if I had only listened to her, my child would not be where he is. And, and I, it's very important to me that I be as loud as I possibly can in helping people to get to their truths and their answers of what's right for them in their, in their households or their classrooms. Was it, whether it's a parent, teacher, practitioner, or an individual who's on the spectrum, I want to be able to hook you up to the resources that you need. Not necessarily the ones that I had, right? Because you live in different places. Your children are different ages. You are a different age. You need different things. And there are resources, you guys, but we have to be able to hunt. We have to be able to find information and then we have to follow through on them. So I want 
want to help with the first part. I want to help you in the hunting phase. I want to I want to be your uh, operator that you know the old old time operators who would plug things in and connect people. That's what I want to be. Okay, so that's what I'm doing here. Take advantage of it. It's all free. When you write in a question, we don't know who you are. You're completely anonymous. You're not giving us a credit card. We don't know where in the world you are. Frequently, that's the first question I ask you because the resources are different, and we know that not everybody who's watching is in the United States. We have people watching in Canada. We have people watching in actually 103 different countries. And we've got some news coming up for you if uh, we're, we're reaching more and more viewers whose primary language is Spanish. And we want to extend our programming a little bit to be able to accommodate you guys too. So we've got some really exciting information that's going to be coming up in the next week. I don't want to give it away yet. In any case, uh, so that's why I'm here. I am a former teacher. And uh, so it's important to, I, you know, I want people to get the good education that they need and to be hooked up to those resources. And I'm a mom, but you know, just not an expert in autism every day. I, I work on learning, um, I, but I don't think I'm ever going to be able to consider myself an expert in autism because my, my son will remind me on a daily basis that I'm not. <laughs> and that's a good thing. He keeps me humble, as he should. Okay, so having said all of that, uh, we like to start every morning with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is the time of day when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym and we try to figure out just exactly what are the experts talking about so that we don't have to sit in the meeting and go I'm sorry what does that mean I have no idea what you're talking about because that takes time and it and it sucks energy from the room but you also can't sit there and just not know what it means right so we take it one thing at a time we give you the actual definition then we give you a working definition that's a little bit more user-friendly so today our phrase is adaptive fluency Okay, we talked about what adaptive skills were on Tuesday, but so now what's adaptive fluency? This, you know how we always see the puzzle piece with autism? This is one of the puzzle pieces, uh, a really important puzzle piece. Okay, so our actual definition, adaptive fluency is demonstrating skills that facilitate community integration and independence in an effective and efficient manner. Well, doesn't that just sound lovely? But what are we really talking about here? If somebody said to me, oh, it's so important that your child demonstrates adaptive fluency because it's uh, using a skill that facilitates community integration and independence in an effective and efficient manner, and my child is hitting his head on the kitchen floor, I, I would have a gesture for that. <laughs> Right? And I, cause I would be like, what are you talking about? So let's go on to our working definition here. Adaptive fluency is being able to perform life skills with accuracy, ease, and timing. So let's, you know, on Tuesday, we talked about the vast array of adaptive skills. We're talking about everything from toilet training to tying your shoes, to being able to use a fork and a knife and a spoon, to be able to make yourself a snack, to be able to put laundry soap in the, uh, in the washing machine, to be able to load a dishwasher, to be able to feed a pet, to be able to trim your fingernails, to be able to brush your teeth. I mean, the how about ordering in a restaurant, right? The list is exhaustive and we're not going to work on the same things with everybody, right? Because as we always say, this is not one size fits all, but imagine, 
and I know that a lot of you have experienced this. Let's take, you know, three different skills. For example, let's say that we're doing shoe tying and the, the child, we teach it and we use something called chaining where we teach one part of it and we do the rest of it. And then the child gets really good at doing that one part. And then we add another part onto it so that they can do two parts of it and we're doing the rest of it. And then they can do three parts of it and we're doing the rest of it until the child gets the mechanics and can do all of the shoe tying but it takes a half an hour and it's not great, right? And, and so sometimes you feel like, ah, you know, we've spent all this time on it, but it's not at that point where it's really, you know how when we sit down and tie our shoes and it's and we're out, right? That's fluency. And when we teach adaptive skills, we have to go through the mechanics and we have to go through, you know, and then it trots around the two bunny ears, right? We have to go through all of that and get it slowly, but we need to get to a point where we work on fluency, being able to perform that life skill, getting it done accurately, being able to do it very easily and being able to do it with the timing that that skill requires. Now, obviously every skill is going to have different timing if we're doing toothbrushing, right, um, we, we have, a, we want to encourage them to brush long enough that the teeth actually get cleaned. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions, right? So, um, and then if we're, let's think about when they're ordering at a restaurant. Let's say that we really want for the, the teenager to be able to order in the restaurant, and they can. They absolutely can if somebody on the other end of the counter is patient and demonstrating compassion and willing to say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you so they can repeat it again, you know, that the interaction can happen. But in order for it to happen in a way that isn't exhausting for everybody, we need to get to that fluency where the person is standing there at the counter, they're speaking loud enough, they're articulating enough that, or they're putting it on the iPad at a speed in which the person at the counter, it just flows, right? It's, it's what we want to get to that fluency is when we get to real independence, when the skill is theirs and it works on all levels. And I know there's a part of me that, you know, it's a process, right? We're not going to get there on the first day, but it's always something that we're working toward. And until we get there, everybody else has to have a patience bone right? Including the person on the other end of the counter when we're ordering something at a restaurant or the person on the phone who hangs up because the individual isn't responding enough, right? People need to be patient. I don't want to uh, mislead anybody and make it sound like I'm saying our kids have to fit in. No, uh, they are where they are. We accept that and everybody needs to be patient. But truly, if we want our individuals on the spectrum to be as happy and as well-adjusted and as productive as they want to be, we want to get to adaptive fluency because no one, I'm sorry, no one wants to stand there at the counter and get frustrated because they can't convey what their order is to the person on the other end of the counter. And that does take some timing and it does take a certain amount of accuracy, right? So we don't give up on that.
we keep working on it and we can work on fluency in lots and lots and lots of fun ways. But if you've been working on adaptive skills at home and it just doesn't feel like it's getting there, you really want to ask your ABA provider to, for some help and support and say, how can I help us to work on fluency with this? Uh, and we'll talk a little bit later on this hour about some of the fun things that you can do to work on fluency. We still are working on adaptive fluency for some things and um, it, I can make it miserable. Heaven <laughs> knows I can make it miserable. But when I choose to make it fun, that's when we see progress. So uh, my little personal tip for myself. All right. We always like to have a question first thing in the morning for you that we like to check in on Facebook to hear from you. Uh, we want to know from you today, what do you do for yourself that's rewarding? Okay. <laughs> I know. And, and I really want you to answer the question as it's written. So I know some of you are going to say, nothing, never, I never get to do anything, I don't do anything for myself. No, 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 right? Um, but think about it. Is there anything? Is it even seven seconds long? And sometimes the answer to this question is things that when once we reflect upon them, we go, oh, if that's the only thing I'm doing to reward myself, I don't think I care for that, right? Because it might be that you're taking a minute to go and have a cigarette. And you go, oh man, is that the thing that I'm doing to reward myself? Ooh, I'm not sure if that's the thing I want to do. For some of us, it may be eating too much of something that we know we shouldn't have, that the doctor already said we shouldn't have, right? Um, so let's really be honest with ourselves about what we actually do to reward ourselves. And, and sometimes it's an insight into, oh, okay, this is really good for me. And other times it's, oh, um, that's why I'm doing that thing that isn't necessarily good for me, that's a little on the compulsive side, that I want to spend all my time doing, um, that really isn't accomplishing anything. Uh, I love, there are a couple of games that I love to play on the computer, and that can suck up my whole life. It really can. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real here um, because sometimes that's my reward for myself is getting to play that game. But if I really think about it, is that the reward that I want to give myself for having shown up in my child's life, having been a good mom and a good wife and, and being somebody who's working a job that I feel passionately about? Is that the reward that I want? We got to be mindful. And if we get mindful about it, then we start to make some decisions about, okay, well, how I'd really like to reward myself is this. But first we have to say, what are you doing to reward yourself? And, and let's, as, as much as possible, try to tell us what you're actually doing. I know I'm going to get some, nope, nothing, never. I never got to go anywhere, never, ever, ever. I say that frequently. Um, okay. And then we always have a topic of the week. Our topic this entire week is so special to me, self-care. I am right there with all of you. We asked you the other day about what, uh, what do you do for self-care? And we got all the, what is that? I don't ever have time to do that. I feel guilty if I make time for that because it's time that I could be doing something my child. Or I feel guilty if I spend money on something for self-care for myself because that's money who could be, that could be spent on my child. I do think that that's something that comes with parenting no matter wh what your child's abilities or capabilities are. I just think it hangs around a lot longer and has a much bigger guilt factor when you have a child who's on the autism spectrum or has special needs, uh, let's face it. Um, but 
you know, Nancy Oswald Jackson and I had a big conversation yesterday about this, where we were, you know, coaching each other about this very thing. And it is, it is so important that we take care of ourselves and that we have boundaries. I think so much of the time we feel like we need to give, 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 because that's what makes us a good person. Uh, and it is important that we be giving people, right? But if we give more than we have, what it will lead to is resentment. And then we didn't give it freely if we end up resenting it later on. So in order to give something away, you have to have it. And we want to give self-care away to our children, don't we? And we want to give self-care to all the people in our lives. But if we don't have it ourselves, we don't have it to give away. So I really feel like for myself, I have to make more of a commitment to take care of myself. I know intellectually it's the best gift I can give my child, taking care of myself. And the second best gift I can give if my child is taking care of my marriage. Um, and yet I like back burner those things all the time and go, my husband can handle it. I can handle it. We've got to deal with this. Uh, I, I think there's a piper to be paid at some point and I don't want to pay that piper. So if you're with me on this, write in, let's talk about it and, um, and let's do better, right? Let's be mindful and let's be with it together and remind each other. I'll remind you, you remind me. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to do that. And we're going to talk about how we find the time for that today. All right. Some of the different things that we have going on today, we've got a very special guest who's going to be with us a little bit later on in this hour, Amy Rauch. And she has, uh, she is a psychology intern. And this is one of those things that when we talk about, there are resources all over the place. We just have to ha have our ears open and hear them. So, uh, and I realize that this is an example of something that is in a very specific area that I believe it's in uh, Newport Beach. I'm pretty sure that that's where it is. Um, I'll Yes, Newport Beach. I was right. Um, so if you don't live in Newport Beach, you're going to go, dang, I would have really liked to have done this. But if it's in Newport Beach, I'm going to guess that there are things of this caliber everywhere if you keep your ears open. So she's a psychology intern, and she's going to be hosting a very special event called Developing and Cultivating Skills through cooking. How's this for our adaptive week where we're talking about building skills that are adaptive? And, and remember on Tuesday when I said the thing about adaptive skills is that it builds self-esteem and it opens the possibility for all kinds of things when we teach these kinds of skills. So this is uh, subtitled A Sensory Experience for Children 6 to 11. It's a special cooking class just for our kids who have special needs and who have sensory issues. So we're going to be joined by Amy a little bit later on in this hour and we're going to talk about what this event is, how she came up with the idea, who it's right for, and hopefully it's something that you can either attend or that it will get you mindful about looking in your area to see if these kinds of things exist there. Uh, we have some autism news for you, some good, some not so good as usual, and then we're going to talk to you a little bit about adaptive skills and we're going to talk about autism advocacy. We have some things for you guys to do. You know, we promised Shelly Hendricks that we were all going to, five minutes every day, we were going to advocate for ourselves and for our kids and for our community. So we're going to give you some things to do today to help you on that path of advocacy. All right, all of that and ever so much more. But first, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Talk of Facts. Welcome back. I'm Lisa Ackerman. I'm here to help answer some of the most common questions uh, that come up on your autism journey. And 
This one's my favorite one. I'm out of money. What do I do? Um, well, I've yet to meet um, any family with autism that maybe once had money. By the time autism is rolled through their lives, their money is pretty much uh, uh, gone to the wind. Um, so what I always like to tell families is we've spent a great deal of time on a whole on a budget series real life you know practical guidelines for every situation you'll come across in autism the series includes everything that you need to know about therapy and who pays for what autism insurance and healthcare reimbursement tips and tricks there's an entire white paper on that uh, let's not forget medical intervention unique to autism and the common things that you need to do and how you can get those uh, common comorbid issues covered through your health care insurance plan. Yes, that's possible. Some of the other great uh, on a budget series also includes, you know, how to homeschool your child, what to do if uh, schooling is not currently working out within the school right down the street. And the last one that's the most important to me is how do you feed these kids um, all of their allergy-friendly foods without going bankrupt. Well, that's easy. Um, the last and most important paper Taka wrote was how to feed a family of four um, on the autism, gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free diet for $320 per month. We know how to do it. Um, we've assisted families uh, living on food stamps, and so we know the resources. And then we also provide some great tips on what's available through public assistance and also what are the current grants available through ACT Today or other foundations out there serving the autism community. We keep a current list. Currently there's over three dozen national organizations providing financial aid for families living with autism. So if you're out of money, don't let that be the barrier for success. TACA can help you with our entire On a Budget series at the TACA website, tacanow.org, and we'll see you back at the next TACA Fact. Welcome back to Autism Live. I mentioned that we're trying to catch up on some of the questions, and I want to start with some that came in overnight. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, what goes into a comprehensive FBA for a child with ASD? So let's, go, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about what an FBA is. FBA is a functional behavior assessment, and it is a series of... Um, different things it's i always say and i'm going to put this in the in terms as a parent right this is i i have a guest come and explain it as well but um in terms of a parent i think of it as being a a, a private investigator that if you said to a private investigator you know something has happened they would start and take accounts of people who witnessed it right? That's the first thing that they would do. And so that's exactly what a good BCBA who's doing an FBA is going to do, is they're going to come and they're going to interview uh, whoever has witnessed it. That might be mom, that might be dad, that might be the teacher, but they're going to take that account of you've seen it and they're going to ask you, you know, so what, what happened? And then they want you to describe it. They call that the topography of the behavior. Uh, more jargon, right? <laughs> what, did, what did it look like? You know, was, was there hitting? Was there kicking? Was there throwing things? Was there destruction of property? How long did it last? Uh, was, was the individual making noises while they did it? You know, they really want to know everything. Where were they standing? 
you know, um, did it like seem like it calmed down at one point and then it escalated again? You know, what what actually happened in once the the event, the tantrum, the challenging behavior, the whatever it is happened? Then they're going to say to you, what happened right before that? <laughs> you know, and, and I, I love as a parent, if I now go to pick up my child and I go to school and they say, oh, well, you know, we had something happen today. And then I go, what happened? Right. And they tell me what happened. And now the first thing I say is what happened right before? Because I know that that's, this is the drill, right? So they're going to ask you what happened right before. So what was going on right before? Were you having lunch? Were you at the playground? Did you just leave the playground? Had somebody said something to the child? Had somebody done something to the child? Did somebody ask the child to do something? Because sometimes it's when we put a demand on our child, right? So they're, they're trying to gather the facts. And then, of course, they'll ask what happened afterwards? What were the consequences for it? How did it end? And, and what, how was everybody else's reaction when it was happening. Now, the thing about this is that it's not incredibly always perfectly accurate because if we're being interviewed, we were having emotions and feelings while it was happening, right? So we were noticing what we were noticing and none of us can notice everything. We just can't. It's impossible. Um, so, you know, they take that into account. And then there is a series of, uh, things that they will do to try to determine, they'll try to watch the behavior, they'll try to catch the behavior happening. So if they say, oh, well, it tends to happen at three o'clock in the afternoon after you've gone to the swimming pool. Okay, so tomorrow I'm gonna come to your house at 2.45 and I'm gonna be there waiting after you come from the swimming pool. So I'm gonna be there at three o'clock. So I'm gonna see if I can watch it happen um, because they're gonna be able to watch and see different things. They'll try to catch it when it happens. And if that doesn't happen, sometimes they, as I like to call it, prime the pump. That if they know that it happens right after um, the child has a toy taken away, then they will set up a circumstance circumstance in which they ask you to take the, the toy away from the child like when it happened the last time to see if they can create the event to make it happen. If you think about it, we do this all the time in life, right? You do this with your car mechanic. They try to, if you say to their car mechanic, it only happens when it's cold, your car mechanic is going to say, bring it back to me the next morning that it's cold, right? And they do this in the medical field as well. If you have a heart issue and you say, well, I'm having trouble when, you know, when my heart does this, when this happens, the doctor is going to try to recreate that circumstance and map it with an EKG. It, it, we just, we want to know what's actually happening. It's not cruel. It's not horrible. It's not meant to be cruel or horrible, but we need to see what's actually happening because if we start rearranging stuff before we know what's actually happening, we're not going to be effective. And that's true. Whether it's your car, it's true. Whether it's your heart, or it's true. Whether it's your child, we don't want to just be throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. That's just not effective way of doing things. So the FBA is designed to specifically take in all this information, but then at some point, usually in an FBA, and this is where you really need an expert, they will try to create the event to see if the behavior happens. Because if we think, for instance, that, um, and I talk all the time about the four usual suspects, which are, which are the four things that usually have something to do with why the behavior is happening. Attention, that they want to get attention, that they want to escape someone or something, that they want to gain someone or something, or that there's something about the behavior that just fulfills a, a personal need, that it feels good, it helps to uh, stimulate them, it helps to soothe them, right? We call that automatically reinforcing. 
it's usually one of those four or some combination of them, right? So uh, a lot of times in an FBA, depending on the child, depending upon the behavior, right? And it's so important that the child be safe no matter what, they will create a circumstance in which they can see for sure if that the that if this happens the behavior will escalate so they literally try to make and and if you're thinking oh my gosh but my child you know put his head through a plate glass window we don't want to make that happen i have seen doctors go so far as to make sugar glass things that if they know that the child's going to put their head through a plate glass window and they really it's important that they get the fba they make a window pane of sugar glass so the child puts their head through it but it's completely safe uh it's sugar and it crumbles the child doesn't know that that's going to happen they you know but they're and, and then they can see okay this is what was happening in this microcosm of this moment very safe very very safe if you've got somebody who's doing an fba who safety isn't the first priority you don't have the right person right fire on the spot but so the whole purpose is knowing this is what is happening so that we can have effective intervention. That's the whole purpose of an FBA, finding what the paycheck is of that behavior so we can rearrange the circumstances, get that paycheck in a different way and cut off the paycheck for that challenging behavior and show the individual this isn't getting it done. And by the way, we do this not with just with kids on the autism spectrum. They do this with adults all the time. I always say, watch Dr. Phil. And when they've got somebody who's not on the autism spectrum, you know, the 22-year-old the son who's still living at home with mom. And, and Dr. Phil says, you know, well, why do you think he's doing it, mom? And she says, I can't figure out why. And Dr. Phil says, well, are you cooking his meals and paying his bills? And she says, well, yeah, he's my son. And he says, well, why would he get a job if you're doing it for him? You're going to stop doing that. And then he's going to go get a job. Same thing, right? But we have to figure out what is the paycheck. And when we do a functional behavior assessment, we figure out what is the paycheck. So we can get the paycheck some other way. We're not saying, well, you just don't get that paycheck. We got to figure out a way that you can get it that's actually more rewarding for you that might even be easy and easier certainly than the behavior you're engaging in. So that's uh, what an FBA entails. Um, if you're at school and you're asking for an FBA to be done and all they do is come and observe the child, this would raise warning flags for me because they need to talk to people about what did you see, you know, and if they only interview people and don't come and observe the child, that would raise warning flags for me. So uh, hopefully that's helpful and we will have an expert uh, hopefully next week address that as well. Okay, well, we're going to take a short break and come back and talk about our next question somebody says we've never used ABA and really have no idea what it entails is there a website or resources we can use to learn how to use it at home oh my goodness have you come to the right place I've got all kinds of resources for you stick with us If you're watching Autism Live, chances are you care about the life of someone or perhaps many people living with autism. You spend countless hours trying to make a better life for them. It may not have been easy for you to watch the show today. You know, sometimes you could be juggling so many balls in the air, you feel like a circus performer. 
I remember recently saying to a friend that as the mother of a son with autism, plus all the other challenges in my life, I feel like I'm carrying a tray full of glasses of water, and that if one of them topples over, the whole thing is gonna go crashing down. This empowerment moment is all about you. Now, I'm not a doctor or a therapist, but over the last nine years in my autism journey, I've learned some things that have helped me shift from being a victim to having hope. See, I've been in that place, down on the kitchen floor, on my knees, praying for answers of what happened to my child. I've been in that place, covered with blood and tears, after one of Wyatt's giant tantrums, where I said, where has my fairy tale life gone? I have a feeling you're a member of that kitchen floor club, too. It's been a process, but I've come from that place of being a victim to becoming an advocate for my son Wyatt and for many others as the executive director of ACT Today, or Autism Care and Treatment Today. Let's start with reframing the way you think about yourself and your child. I want you to say after me, I'm an activist. That's right. I'm an activist because just by watching this program, you are taking positive steps to make the world a better place for your child or someone else living with autism. You are a positive force of action in the world. I want you to start thinking of your so-called disability as an opportunity because it's within our challenges that our greatness is revealed. That's where we find our courage and resiliency. And parenting a child with autism is one of the greatest challenges a parent can face. You have the choice to see this as a journey of self-discovery. Some people take expeditions to climb Mount Everest to see what they're made of. You don't have to travel that far because parenting a child with autism is an expedition of the soul. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith. Welcome back. Just wanted to give a quick shout out. That was, of course, Nancy Osbaugh Jackson, who co-hosts with me for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, and she's the executive director of Autism Care and Treatment today. And we've mentioned a couple of times on the show, and we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, Coach E. Elaine Hall from the Miracle Project. And uh, Nancy's son, Wyatt, has been participating in their summer camp this summer. And last night was their opening night of their theater show. My son and I are going to it tomorrow but uh, we hear that it was phenomenal and that it was just a wonderful I cannot wait to see this show tomorrow if you're in the Los Angeles area and you want to see this show I encourage you to go to the Miracle Project and get tickets immediately and uh, it's happening in Northridge on the Cal State Northridge campus so uh, and Gem and I are going tomorrow if you want to come with us just get your tickets we will be there tomorrow okay uh, we had a question that came 
in uh, from somebody who says, we have never used ABA and really have no idea what it entails. Is there a website or resources we can use to learn how to use it at home? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we try to help with uh, some of the things here. I mean, there's only so much we can do here, but if you have specific questions as you start to learn, feel free to use us as a supplementary free resource. You can write in questions and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to do this uh, and this is, you know, kicking my keister a little bit or I need to, I need this explained a little bit more in depth and we'll have experts explain it to you. But I really encourage people to start with two places. Um, three really. Okay. So the first one is the Institute for Behavioral Training. Ibehavioraltraining.com. When you go there, it is a comprehensive training resource, e-learning, and a lot of other things that is available for anyone who wants to understand about how you can use ABA effectively to intervene with a child. And I do mean anyone because you can use that if you are a practitioner and want to train staff um, to be able to do the things that they need to do and to be able to understand how you use ABA when you're using it for autism, because ABA is not just for autism, correct? So um, it's there for practitioners. It's there for educators. If you're a teacher and you're in a classroom and you're saying, okay, I've been trained in how to teach, but now I've got a child with autism that needs different things than the rest of these kids needs. And and I need to be able to meet this individual's needs while I'm meeting those, and I just don't know how to do that. That's a really reasonable, rational thing to say, and and I gotta tell you, there are answers, effective answers for that. A whole series of videos available on iBehavioral Training just for teachers. And then there is another whole segment for parents. And it's not just for parents. I, I you know, I mean, I think we all understand what they mean when they say parents, but parents can use this with kids caregivers so that you can be doing this training with your babysitters. You can do it with family members. If you, I hope you have family members who say, Hey, I want to know more about what I can do. And that you can say to them, great. Uh, you know, I, I want you to watch this video and it's going to help you to understand what to do. But for those members of your family who are not saying that, but come and, and say, uh, they either say, Oh, well, you know, this is the way you should do it. You can say, I need you to watch a video about what we are doing before you say anything else, right? You can say that to them. And for the people who just look disapproving at you, that are so passive aggressive, they're not gonna, you can say, hey, it's really important to us. You're coming to stay with us uh, for a week in the summer. And we think it's important that you understand this is how we're gonna be dealing with some of the behaviors. And it's important that you uphold this. I'm sure you wanna support us in this, right? <laughs> so it doesn't get all conf confrontational. You do that positive assumptive. I know you care about us. So I know that you'll want Want to participate with us in this and support us in this and then when they don't you know whatever uh but at least you tried you know if you don't ask then what what are the odds right okay so eye behavioral training is going to give you the training and they segment it by topics which is super cool so you don't have to be overwhelmed and you can look at it and start with what is autism and then move on to what is aba uh and then start to pick and choose then you'll have enough of a basic understanding that you'll go okay you know well i really need some help with eloping and wandering. That's what my 
child is doing, I turn around for a second and my child's gone out the door and I'm scared to death. Uh, then you can watch a video about eloping. You can pick and choose the topics in the order that you want to do. And each one of those videos, they sell them individually and you buy them for a period of whether it's three months or six months or a year. And when you buy the license to that video, you get to use it as much as you want within that time. So let's say that you decide to get the video of what is uh, ABA and uh, and it's probably like $7.50. I mean, they're really that affordable. Some of them are a little bit more than that, but they're around $7.50. So you buy it for three months. So you sit and watch it and you go, you know, this was really helpful to me. I really want my mother-in-law to watch this. And so you send her the link and say, hey, you know, we bought the license to this video for three months and I, I would so appreciate it. This is what we're going to be doing in our home. And we really want to get everybody on board because whenever anybody visits, they're going to have to uphold what we're trying to do in order for it to be effective. Um, so would so appreciate it if you would watch this and you can have your babysitter watch it and your significant other can watch this. I mean, and you can do that with all of the videos. You can, you know, say to your teacher, it's really important that you understand this is what we're doing. Um, so IBT, great, and you can pick and choose the topics. Um, they, if you want a comprehensive starting point, um, you can do the entire registered behavior technician training, which is what any basic therapist needs to get licensed in starting very soon. So you can be ahead of the curve. So not only would you learn all the things and it's, uh, I think it's 40 hours worth of videos. And so you could just buy the chunk of them and it's not that much. It's much less than if you would take a college course and, and you, you only have, I think, I don't know whether it's 60 days or 90 days. It's a sh I think it's 90 days in which to complete it um, in order to get a certificate, which, you know, not everybody needs a certificate, but uh, if you're going to learn this anyway, why not get certified in it so that when you're sitting at the IEP uh, meeting and they say, well, what experience do you have with ABA? And you say, I'm a registered behavior technician. And then they know not to mess with you, right? I'm getting ready to do the RBT. I can't wait. Um, I'm excited about it. But um, so you can do that or you can just do them, you know, individually, the topics that you want to do. And you can do a combo of the two as well. So that's IBT. That's going to give you the understanding of what the techniques are and what the skills are so that you understand the basics of ABA. But then you need to know the lessons and you need to know what to teach your child because all of our kids are different and they all need different things. And I talk about kids as Swiss cheese. They're cheese with holes in them, right? And they ha we have to shore up those holes in order for them to be able to do things. So that's where skills comes in. If you go to skillsforautism.com, it is the assessment and all of the lessons and it gives you a way to do uh, a, a uh, an analysis of challenging behavior and it gives you a way to write behavior intervention plans and track these things. So skills for autism, do it. And I would start them both at the same time because you need to start answering the questions on the assessment and you're going to need some time to do that. Skillsforautism.com. And then the third site that I will tell you is check out the A word. We're, we'll show them in a little while. It's an ongoing documentary showing what it looks like with one child. So keep in mind that that's one child and it's going to look different with your child because your child's going to have different lessons, right? But it gives you an idea of what the intervention looks like in the home and how the parents are involved and how a therapist is involved uh, will be able to really help you. Now, I've gone over what I needed to do because uh, we've gone over time, but 
also then again reminding you use us as a resource too so if you watch something on IBT and you have questions about it and you, and you say oh I get it but then I went to do it with my child and it just like I need like I just don't know how to do this that or the other thing ask us here and we're totally free so uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be here with Amy Rausch, and she's going to be talking with us about these cooking classes that she's doing. Stick with us. When you find out you're having a boy, you always think, like, oh, he's going to play football, he's going to do this and that. And then when he's diagnosed, all those things get washed away. It's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind, you know? Where is he? What is he doing? Is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grampiche, is an amazing woman. And she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports. Things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle, and without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog, so we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Are we ready? Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. 
and they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart, so it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior, and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The Skills Assessment and Curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes Skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The Skills Assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the Skills Assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions, or simply type in a keyword find specific activities to assess, and add activities to treatment. Step three, choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step 4. Start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts, mapping curriculum progress, lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The Skills Language Curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tacks, and interverbals. Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here. autism.
What is autism? 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 I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> trying to, uh, just, uh... Um... Oh man, that's a rough one. Yes. Uh, autism. Uh, autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability, and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another, it's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given. So much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have joining us right now, Amy Rauch. And as I mentioned before, she is an enterprising psychology intern, and she's got a really special event that's coming up that we want you to know about. So first of all, Amy, welcome to Autism Live. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you. As I was saying to you just a minute ago, our topic this week has been teaching adaptive skills. So tell our viewers what this event is that you have coming up. Yeah, so we'll be doing a cooking class for kids on the autistic spectrum, kids from age 6 to 11. Uh, and really the idea is primarily for kids to engage with their senses in an innovative way in a, um, a different environment, in the kitchen environment. Um, and secondarily for kids to have a social environment where they'll be engaging with peers um, and interacting. And then thirdly, for parents to be able to observe their kids um, their level of stimulation and monitor for overstimulation and then respond in a way that maintains the child's autonomy but also their sense of safety as well. So those are the three goals that we have for the class. I absolutely love it. And so tell us when this is happening and where it's happening. Um, August 2nd um, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's one Saturday um, at St. James Episcopal Church actually in Newport Beach. So there's a, a beautiful kitchen set up there that um, we've been permitted to use. So, And you're going to be there leading it, but you're not doing this by yourself. Who's participating in this with you? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so my uncle, Chef Patrick Giacomo, is the co-owner of a catering company, um, PT Culinary, and he teaches cooking classes regularly um, and has a heart for this type of thing. And then also my supervisor, Dr. Julie Wilmier, um, also has a private practice specializing in working with children and adolescents. So the three of us will be there um, excited to meet with the kids and their parents. Okay, so you mentioned that it's ages six to 11. Is there a skill level that these children need to have in order for to be successful in the cooking class? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would ask that on the flyer that there is my phone number listed. So I'd ask you call me directly um, and we would just talk briefly just to make sure that your child would be a great fit for the class, which really I would just ask about how verbal your child is um, and any negative behaviors. And just to make sure that they would be safe in the class 
So we've really structured it so it is a very safe environment. We're not going to be using knives or stoves, um, but we just want to make sure that it's an optimal fit. I absolutely love this. I think it's a brilliant idea, and we want to make sure we've put the flyer up twice now, and it is going to be on our Facebook. But um, if you want to do this, if you're, you think that your child would be a good fit for this, Amy's number is 949-547-2530. But they should call you and contact you and reserve a space fairly soon, correct? Yeah, we have just very limited space, so we'd love to be able to, to meet you and work with your child, but we just have a few spaces at this time. so. Okay, do you already know what it is you're going to be cooking, or do we want to keep that a surprise? Uh, no, I'm okay with sharing that. So we're going to do um, a shepherd's pie. So ground turkey, mashed potatoes. The kids will be, you know, seasoning the meat and mashing the potatoes together. Um, then we're going to make pizzas, um, and the kids will get the toppings prepared and work with a partner, and the partner will be telling the, um, the other child what they'd like on their pizza. So we'll cook it that way. And so, then we're going to um, make whipped cream. You know, the chef wouldn't have it any other way, but fresh whipped cream. Okay. And then we're going to dye it and um, do some artwork within the whipped cream and maybe play some Pictionary, depending on what kind of time we have. So... Um, it's going to be fun. Well, really spectacular. We think this is a great idea. We want to encourage people that are in the Newport Beach area to contact you and see about having their child participate in this. And for people around the country and around the world to get an idea of the things that are available in different places, because there are probably many enterprising young psychology interns who are doing different things. So Amy, we applaud you for this. We hope that you get a great turnout and we hope that you'll check back with us and let us know how it all went. Maybe get some pictures that we can show as well yeah that would be great thanks so much for having me what a treat to be able to share this in this environment so well, thank you very much we appreciate you i look forward to all the great things that you're going to do in your career because if this is what you're doing as an intern then you're going to do some great things oh thank you very much thanks thank for being you great. all right take care amy Thank you. Uh, really a spectacular, spectacular idea, putting together those adaptive skills. And we were talking earlier about all the things you're working on when you're working on adaptive skills. They're going to work on social skills. They're working on the sensory element and having the parents be included to know when the child has reached their threshold and then being able to do something to dial the whole thing back. Really, really remarkable. Again, that's happening on August 2nd from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You're going to want to call Amy directly at 949 we're going to take a break now and go to the A Word. This is an ongoing documentary being done by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders showing what that ABA looks like when it's early intervention. So take a look. This is the A Word. He's a happy, fun kid, and he was a happy, fun kid when he was diagnosed, too, and I don't think at the time we really understood that you can be happy, fun, and still have autism. He's sort of giving us a hint that uh, we don't need to worry so much that he'll, he'll conquer whatever it is that he's dealing with. Oh, that could be interesting. Oh, no, the duck fell. You're okay. Okay, buddy. Daddy will hold it. Let's try again. I know that it's very important to him, whether he knows it or not, that he has both of us in his corner. So for the dads, that's all I would say is be in his corner, do the best you can. And if you screw up, just be involved. You're gonna make mistakes, but just be involved. 
it's not going to go away. And, and quite frankly, you're way more valuable to helping him than you think you are in the beginning. I, you know, there were times I thought I'm useless, and that's gone away. just really clever now. More creative when he's playing. He solves little issues or problems that get in his way. And he just smiles a lot while he's doing it. So we think he's enjoying it. Yay, there's a bubble to top. Oh my This is Jessica's first attempt in teaching Jack Riley how to gain attention. At first, Jessica tempts Jack Riley with an item he wants, then prompts him the entire way so he can practice and learn an appropriate way to gain attention. Look, do you want the fire truck? Look, look what I have. Do you want it? Yes. learns how to gain attention, Jessica's prompts will fade until he does it independently. bad as it gets and you know we've caught it then we're great I think what I didn't realize is that there's always going to be new things that he's gonna encounter there's always going to be new behaviors that he discovers and that's part of being a kid as well as the mm -hmm. autism no this way 
Welcome back. And so I was mentioning before that if you're looking for ABA resources to want to know what it looks like, what it's kind of like, this is why I recommended the A-Word as one of those resources, because you start to see how these things get implemented. And of course, you always are watching with an awareness of the fact that a whole lot of time is passing. I love that in this particular episode, they show you first trial, second trial, third trial, fourth trial, fifth trial, sixth trial, because they can't always show you in depth all of those different things, but it gives you a sense of the fact that, okay, this did didn't happen the first time we showed it to this child. But there are several things that happen in this particular video that show you the hallmarks of good ABA. That first of all, in, in one of the early moments of the video, uh, and I don't even remember what they're doing, but the child is doing something and the therapist is there and the mom is in the room. So right there, the fact that it isn't just the therapist doing something with the child and the parents aren't involved. There are going to be times when it's just the therapist, right? right? But there have to be times when the therapist is there and the, and the parent is there, the caregiver is there and doing things as well too. That's a really important part of it because if the parents aren't learning this and there's just the therapist there, what happens when the therapist leaves? It's all going to disintegrate to mush and the parents are quickly going to be, I don't understand why it's not working for me. It's important that as parents, we make sure that we're there part of the time. Okay. So another great hallmark that happens is there's a moment that he does something right and you hear, yeah and clapping and laughing and you see his face and he's so happy. Uh, this building that we're in, it used to be a place where they did clinics and that they did therapies. And uh, this is where my child used to come to get his clinics. Um, and I used to love to walk on the third floor down the hallway when clinics were going because you you know there were, there were four clinic rooms up there and all you had to do was walk down the hallway and at some point you would hear a group of people going, yeah! and being happy and excited. Um, if there isn't some element of that happening in your ABA sessions, something's wrong. That has to be happening because otherwise you won't get the progress that you need, right? And I love that in this episode, we see that, you know, he's doing something and he's getting that praise and it's so wonderful because in a second, they go and they try to teach him something new and it's hard. Learning how to appropriately get somebody's attention is stinking hard. If you don't know what the rules are and you don't understand what's happening and you're used to getting what you want one way and then all of a sudden it's this three-step thing where you have to pat them on the shoulder and you have to say Jessica and then say what you want, what are you talking about here? Um, I don't think so. If I'm the child, that's what I'm thinking, right? And it's hard. And if you were to just watch that video and just see that part... You would think, oh, this ABA thing, it's unpleasant. And, and then if you went to try to do it on your own and you hadn't done all the other stuff that she'd done before and, and you, you know, prompted and did all the things right, but without the precursor, the child, you see that Jack Riley's like, ah, he takes his hand back. He doesn't want to do it. I don't get it. I don't know what you want from me. But Jessica stays happy, the therapist, and she stays centered and, you know, just, oh, you know, it's very easy. What do you want? Oh, you're going to tap and say, Jessica. She gives him that vocal prompt and finally he says it and then she holds up the thing. What do you want? She's tempting him with it. Do you see at one point she says, come here, come here, to get him to tap her on the shoulder. It doesn't work the first trial because, you know what, that's reality. But you see that she keeps doing it and you'll see in the next week's episode, and you can watch that now yourself on, on their YouTube channel, that he quickly gets it. And then and what do they do? Then they change the rules because 
this is not the only way to get somebody's attention, is it? It's just the first way. So they make sure that he gets this and then they quickly move on to other ways that you get attention. But here's the reality. If they hadn't taken the time to get the rapport with him on other things and give him some of the precursors that he had to know, he had to be noticing people's faces. He had to, you know, uh, be able to learn through observation. He had to be able to make eye contact and a bunch of other things. And if they didn't have rapport where he understood that when he did things a certain way, that he would get things that he wanted from Jessica, it wouldn't matter how perfectly they did that moment where she prompted him to tap the shoulder. He's got to have those other things in place or it's not going to be effective. But all those things are in place and it's still not effective the first time. It still takes multiple, multiple trials. And she has the understanding. She knows I'm going to be patient because it might take him a hundred trials, but she knows he's going to get it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the gift of ABA. Once you really understand how to use these different tools and get creative with them, what comes is an inner piece of my child can learn. They absolutely can. I just got to figure out the puzzle piece and give lots of opportunities and give lots of praise and meaningful rewards when they get it. That's the formula. And I don't have to veer away from that formula. I just have to plug in different elements depending on what the skill is and how I'm going to teach it. But my child is going to learn it. And that is Oh my gosh, it's just so valuable to have that level of peace and knowing that you're going to be able to teach things. That's what ABA does for us as parents. That's what it does for practitioners. And that's what it does for teachers as well. And we can give that gift to everybody, um, but we have to learn the techniques. And then, so that's what I was talking about. IBT, you learn the techniques. Skills has the curriculum. Skills has the lessons about appropriately teaching attention and the lessons in teaching eye contact and the lessons in learning through observation and all of the other prerequisites and it even helps you to assess as to when is a good time to start learning this particular lesson for this particular child. You gotta love it. Uh, okay, so we are gonna take a break. We're gonna come back with some news from the autism community. Stick with us. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's intelligent preference assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it. Let's play. Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it! Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go! Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. 
Welcome back to Autism Live. We promised you some autism news. Yesterday, the Associated, actually a couple of days ago, the Associated Press uh, featured a story with the headline, British Newspaper Reports Breakthrough in Finding What Causes Autism. I, these titles, uh, they are eye-catching, right? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, researchers from three, 13 institutions from around the world have discovered that people with a mutation of CHD8 gene have a very strong likelihood of having autism. Uh, it's a new study, and that they found that some of the markers that came with this particular gene had some physical attributes to it, including uh, gastrointestinal disorders, a larger head and wide set eyes. Um, they looked at, and this was published, this study in Cell Magazine, they looked at 6,176 children with autism spectrum uh, diagnosis, and they found that 15 of those 6,176 children had CHD8, uh, and that all of those children had some similar physical characteristics, and that all of the children also shared sleep disorders and gastrointestinal problems. What was significant about this was that they were able to take zebra fish and they uh, were able to disrupt the CHD8 in the fish, their gene in the fish, and that they noticed that they, as a course of that, developed larger heads and wide set eyes as well. Uh, and then they fed the fish fluorescent pellets so that they could watch the progress that the food made, uh, leaving, you know, so they could, how they discarded waste and they found that the fish were constipated. Uh, now, now, I don't know if fish would be constipated if they ate fluorescent pellets anyway. I mean, I, it does raise some questions for me. But what is significant about this is that for the longest time we've been talking about how important it is that we phenotype autism, that we start to take different characteristics and start to pair them up with different causes. Uh, and here we have a very specific case where they feel like they are narrowing it down and saying, look, this particular uh, gene mutation and and it has some physical attributes in it and we're seeing that it's pretty significant now it is uh, a very small amount of the autism community and they acknowledge that but they still say this will be a game changer in the way scientists are researching autism that comes from Professor Bernier. He says the results could pave the way for a genetics first approach that could uncover hundreds more genetic mutations and lead to genetic testing. And we've already explained here on the show how powerful it is. In fact, we had Mike uh, Porath from The Mighty On last Tuesday, and he was talking about the fact that he, his insurance covered genetic testing when it appeared that his child, his daughter, um, was having some difficulties and they were looking at an autism diagnosis, it, his insurance was willing to pay for genetic testing. They felt it was a long shot, that they weren't going to come up with anything. And in fact, they did come up with a gene mutation, not this one, uh, but a different one. And that has led them to make different choices in terms of her care and treatment that could be more specified, that were more appropriate for her and has given their family a great deal of hope and a great deal of peace. So um, I... I 
appreciate this study um, for all that it is. I think that a lot of people have been working on this in a lot of different ways. Um, and I, I think from the way they reported it, I think our community might be a little bit more ahead of what this article suggests. Um, but uh, because I think we're already talking about genetic testing and how important it is to get that on board uh, when you can afford it. And that's a key factor, isn't it? But more and more insurance is covering genetic testing. And it is the, as more and more people are doing it, the price has come down significantly and we have every reason and every hope to believe that it will continue to come down. So if you're interested in reading more about this study, you can go to Cell Ma Magazine and uh, take a look at that. Professor Bernier, we should mention, is um, a team from Duke University and they were the ones who specialize in zebrafish. Uh, so. And he, again, said that this is the first time that researchers have linked a definitive cause of autism to a genetic mutation. That's interesting to me. But um, in any case, we wanted to share that news with you. It is something that will help to further. And I think it just draws more attention to how important it is that we phenotype autism and that we stop thinking of it as autism and start thinking of it and treating it as autisms. And more and more people are doing that. We're going to take a break and come back with more news. Stick with us. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. I promised you some good news, which we just shared with you, and I also promised you that we were going to have some bad news. And I, you know, we've talked before on this show about how horrible it is to keep reporting about children who drown, who wander and drown, but we have a responsibility to cover it because if one person who hears me says enough is enough, I've got to take measures to make sure that my safe, my child is safe, then it's all the more reason for us to do something. On Tuesday, uh, a five-year-old in, um, in Missouri his parents were talking to a repair person and they for one second blinked and we all know how possible that is that happened and he was gone and an extensive search took place and they eventually found his body he did drown in a pond uh, that belonged to a neighbor a hundred feet away from his home and uh, it's devastating, devastating to talk about this. Uh, it hurts all of our hearts when we hear these stories. And of course, this on the heels of um, 
a report that has come out saying that drowning is the leading cause of death among autistic children. Uh, this is coming to us from the University of Sciences in Philadelphia. Uh, they say that autistic children get overstimulated with crowds and they escape to unsafe environments. Uh, that they're, they're quoting all the, they say literally the plethora of uh, concerns for family dealing with autism, including addressing water safety practices early as possible in a child's life. Uh, although water safety is a concern for all parents, children with autism are especially at higher risk for drowning because they may seek isolation by fleeing to unfamiliar territories. We know that our kids are drawn to water. Um, and some of our kids are even afraid of water, but our kid, a lot of our kids are drawn to water. They want to splash in it. They like the sensory feeling of the pressure on their skin. There are many different reasons why our kids love the water, but they, we know that when they escape our care, that frequently they go to the water. In fact, this little boy, Tony Eugene Jean, as he was known, Corey Ferguson, when he went missing and his parents notified the authorities, his mom said, I am afraid that he will go to the water. She knew that that was what he was drawn to, as so many of us know. It, I, you know, I, I, my heart is so sick because there is nothing that we can do to bring this child back. There is nothing we can say to make that stop. We can go back and armchair quarterback all we want to, but there is nothing that we can do for that individual child. But as this study suggests, and as I think we all know, this is, a, this is at least a leading cause of death in our children who have autism spectrum disorder. I, I was saying to Dr. Grampache yesterday when we heard about this that um, if you haven't already watched, there was a uh, an episode of this show that we did with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox where we were talking about eloping and what we do about it. And he said something that just was so chilling to me. He said, what we need to do is look at our children and imagine for a second, if we know that our child is a f at least even remotely a flight risk, and we know that statistically over 50% of our kids are a flight risk, that we should look at them and imagine that they're saying to us, the minute you turn your back, I am going to escape and run as far as I can. And what would we do if our kids did that? What action would we take if our kids could articulate that? What would we do to prevent them being able to do that? How far would we go? What means would we go to? And that we should think of it in terms of that. Now, having said that, there are lots of things that we can do. There is effective ABA training that can work to teach a child how to appropriately ask to go to someplace, how to um, not run to escape something else, right? Because they're, sometimes they're running from something, sometimes they're running to something. And there are ways in which it's been so successful, you guys, but it takes time. It is not an intervention that is done in a week or even a month. It takes sometimes months and even years to get a child to the point where we can trust that they are able to keep themselves safe if we blink. So what do we do in the interim? We have to make sure that the child is safe. And we have to do that in ways that doesn't further endanger the child. We've seen countless times that parents have done things in that effort to stay safe and that they end up losing their child. Um, so, you know, the case of the boy whose parents tethered him to his home because they didn't want him to escape. 
they lost their child for a period of time. These parents in Orange County that recently were putting their child in a cage. These, this is not the way to go about it, but there are many other ways to go about it. There are medically safe devices in which you can, um, they, their beds, their medical beds, we've featured them here before on the show, that are not restraints and, do, and are not cages. They're not dog cages, but they allow for a child to be kept in a, in a space safely that encourages them to feel safe so that they don't need to feel the need to run, but they, they are kept within that environment safely with monitors um, so that we're making sure that nothing bad can happen in those spaces. They are specifically designed for those. There are locks that you can put on your door. There are alarms that you can put on your door. And, and you know, I mean, my child is 11, and most of the time I, I know that he knows and he asks me before he can do something. I've noticed just recently that there have been a couple of times when something happened where we were in a crowd of people and one time a child a little ways away from us dropped a toy and my son ran away from me to save that child's toy and give it back to them. And I happened to notice when he was doing it. And we had a discussion about why you can't do that and you know why mom also almost had a heart attack and needed to be taken to the CPR tent. Um, you know, he, but he's 11 and there's still a little bit of impulse. So I wanna tell you that I'm not completely out of the woods here myself, um, but we have to stay on it. We just have to stay on it. It makes me sick to my stomach to think about these kids because they're all our kids. Um, this study and this report does encourage, it recommends um, parents to enroll their children in swimming and water safety lessons as early as possible, make them aware of water safety measure and consequences of poor safety practices, and to those who fail to respond to visual cues, place stop and do not enter signs. Um, it says uh, children should also be equipped with details regarding his or her name, their house address, and phone number. Parents can load this information in the form of a chain or a bracelet. We know we've had the people on that do the QR codes that can be, um, you can be safety pinned onto a shirt or you can print it onto a shirt if it becomes a sensory issue. There are lots of ways of being able to identify our children. There are bracelets that have lots of different ways, whether it's radio frequency or low jack, to be able to locate our children within a half an hour. I suspect in this child's case that that wasn't something that would have helped. But I do think if you have a child on the autism spectrum and there are people in your neighborhood who have pools and do not have fencing, it's time to have a conversation because you can do everything on your end to make sure that it's safe, but you need, we can't have open ponds and pools where our kids can fall into. And maybe the conversation is that it's time to move. I don't know, but I, I, I think about this family and if we were to say to them, we can rewind a, a week, but you've got to move, I guarantee you they would move if it meant that they could have their child back. Whatever action we have to take, I think about Dr. Tarbox, if your child looked you in the eye today and said, I'm going to escape and run into peril as soon as I can, what action would you take? What do you need to do? And if you need help and support, if there are things that you can't afford, I want you to know that there are SOS grants from Autism Care and Treatment Today. You can go to act-today.org and apply for an SOS grant, but please, I'm begging you, keep your children as safe as you possibly can. We're going to take a break and come back with more of Autism Live after these messages.
Learn the early signs of autism today because an early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. With real egg noodles and bite-sized chicken, Campbell's chicken noodle soup is the one kids love. Mmm, -mm, good. Let's come and get this on. Thanks. Stream your favorite content when you want. AT&T. to begin working on an adaptive skill? It's a great question, right? Well, the short answer is as early as possible. The long answer is that usually with adaptive skills, there are a chain of skills that need to be put together in order for the individual to learn the skill. So if you think about it, uh, when is the earliest possible moment that you could teach any part of that chain? Think about laundry. When is the proper day to teach laundry to anyone, whether they're neurotypical or on the autism spectrum? Nobody really tells us, right? There's no handbook that says on this day, on their 12th birthday, that's when we start working on laundry skills. But the truth of the matter is, is that you can start with a very small child working on sorting the laundry and have it work well with the other things that they're working on. That you put out three baskets and say, okay, we're going to put things that are colors in this basket. We're going to put things that are black in this basket. And we're going to put things that are white in this basket and helping the child to be able to sort those things. You're really working on colors, but the truth of the matter is that you're putting a laundry skill into place so that when you start working on other elements of laundry, it's going to be that much easier and you're making it kind of fun. Think about other elements of laundry. We're not going to work on a two-year-old with putting something on a hanger, right? But we may have a two-year-old, we may help have, show them how to pour the laundry soap into the little cup, and we may lift them up and have them pour it in, because they really can't make too much of a mess with that, right? So whatever the adaptive skill is that you want to work on, really start as young as you possibly can. Take a look at what the different elements of the task are. Try to break it down into the easiest possible element and start as early as possible. And that's how we achieve success with adaptive skills. Stick with us. We're going to be right back after this. Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost.
You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah. You're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha. Okay. Well, give them a compass. Code name's good idea. Centurion. We always have these whistles. Um. Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. It's all, you're gonna be all right, man. This is just the world. You're, this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes Ooh. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. Like a backup plan. Well, like well, plan B. Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not much you can do. There is I stuff like... you can do. That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role-playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role-playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell out loud. Can't find my mom, my mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right, scream really loud. Correct. And if that doesn't work, then... I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer, or a fireman, or an employee in the store, and tell them, and maybe they can help you contact your parent. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee, and then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children, because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone all the rules with your kid, and you've quizzed them, and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules, but is that enough? How do you know they're gonna perform correctly in a real world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So they'd go over the rules and tell them like, do this, do that, but how would you know if they actually knew what to do? If you wanted to shoot a basketball, and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. I never, never practiced. You never practiced, yeah. So it doesn't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me, it's not gonna change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a role play? Like, role play, yeah. Your child, you're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost, I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Reinforcing them. Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning, reinforcement. Now in our study, we used praise, but for your kid, you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine. 
and then play a game spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in a ball pit. The point is, you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Hello, your child, Ryan. So you tested it out I'll in the store <laughs> to make sure I knew it. I had the rules, yes. we role played it, and you made sure I knew it, and then like you said, good job, and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done? High five right there. Yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules, get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes. Ding. No. <laughs> yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say what? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. Welcome back to Autism Live. We said this week that we were talking about adaptive skills and uh, one of the things that we asked you to write about was how you take care of yourself and uh, what self-care things you do and how you find time for yourself. And I promised that we would talk a little bit about some strategies about how we do that. It's And we've talked about how important it is that we do. We have to prioritize it. That's got to be the first thing. We have to at least admit that it has to be a priority. And I I know, believe me, I participate in this all the time that I go, oh, it's so important. And then when push comes to shove and the moment comes, what I need goes out the window. I, I used to say that it's something hormonal that happens when we have kids, but let's face it, that happens whether you adopted your child or you birthed your child. So uh, it's something on a deeper level uh, than just hormones. There's, uh, it's mental that we believe that we should come last. But always what happens as a result of that is that at some point, we get resentful and I gotta say that resentment uh, you know when I was a kid and I thought about all the things that were gonna be hard in life and and you know what what it was like to be an adult and all of that what, what I thought I was gonna have to do and what I thought I was gonna have to overcome which had nothing to do with reality if somebody had said to me that resentment is one of the biggest things you're gonna have to overcome in your life uh, in order to be happy I would have laughed myself sideways but I really believe that that it has an element of truth in it if we can get resentment under control we will be happier and what's the point if we're not happy, right? So in order to not have resentment or not have a breeding ground for resentment, we have to only give the things that we have to give, as I mentioned earlier. And that means that we have to take care of ourselves or we have nothing to give. I, I certainly have been in a position where I've said to my son already, you know, you're so ungrateful. <laughs> I do everything for you, right? Not helpful to him because in his world, um, he, I want him to feel loved and cherished. And I said I was doing those things things to show him love and cherish him and take care of him because he means so much to me, right? But if at some point I have an expectation that he's got to do X, Y, or Z, then I didn't really give those things. I traded them. And when I don't get them back, I have resentment. So um, what 
what I'm trying to do for myself and what I think we all need to help each other do is to carve out some time to show respect to ourselves first. Uh, somebody very wise said to me recently that the key to having a respectful teenager is making sure that you show yourself respect in front of them. And I went, what? Apparently I missed that lesson, but I'm paying attention now um, because I don't know that I always do show the respect to myself and to my body to take care of me and all the different ways that there are to do that. So I'm just going to ask you in this week to pick one way that you don't show respect to yourself. If um, I have a friend who's a new mom who recently posted on Facebook and said, yeah, I remember what it was like to take a shower whenever I wanted to. And when will I get to do that again? Well, for her, you know, for all of us having a certain amount of bathing and that number is different, right? What feels like self-care, um, but we have to have a certain amount of bathing. It's good for us and it's good for everybody around us too. Let's be honest about that. So we've got, if that's the, the thing that we want to identify and we want to pick a reasonable goal um, for how much this young mom needs to be able to, you know, does she take a shower every other day? Does she take one every day? It's going to be different for everybody, right? So you're going to, you're going to figure out what is the thing that you want to do for self-care and what is the goal that you want to achieve and then realistically work back and say what has to change in order for that to happen and you know I'm guessing for this mom who I happen to know is in a very happy marriage with with a husband who's very supportive that she's going to have to schedule her shower time in a way that she never had to do before she became a mom right it's just a reality used to be she could step in the shower whenever she wants that's not going to happen but she can schedule some time with her husband maybe when he gets home from work or it's possible that because she's got a very young child that you know she puts the child down for a nap and then she knows that you know she's got the baby monitor that she can listen to uh and you know do that if that's what it has to be but finding the way to make it happen taking a problem solving look at it and prioritizing it we're all whizzes at finding all different kinds of ways to prioritize uh, and fix something when it needs to be fixed the problem is is we're just not prioritizing our stuff and sometimes we're prioritizing stuff that isn't the important stuff so just identify one thing that's important and it might be sitting down to eat a meal instead of standing there and eating it at the kitchen counter or going through a drive-thru. It might be getting one more hour of sleep. It might be getting up one hour earlier to get some time to meditate or to walk around the block. I'm just asking you to pick one thing. Don't overwhelm yourself. Pick one thing. Identify what it is. And it's really important to say why. Why is that the thing that's important? And list all the different benefits of what that's going to do for you. And I think what you're going to find is that somewhere on the list, it says, and then it brings me back to my child healthier and happier. That then it brings me to a place where I can be, have quality time with my child because I'm showered and I'm not in that resentment. Um, if you don't have respite of any kind, this is an issue that um, I've had several opportunities now to talk about with Temple Grandin, and she feels like it's one of the biggest issues facing families who have children and young adults and adults that are living with them that are on the autism spectrum. Finding a way for the families to get and have respite. 
I, I will tell you that some places have respite and you may not even know it. In the state of California, if you're in the regional center, if you're a client of the regional center, you're eligible for respite, paid respite, where they will pay a worker, and, and it can be the worker of your choice, um, to be with your child so that you get a break. And they will be very clear with you. It has to be so that you get a break. It can't be so that you can go and get trained to do another job. They won't pay for that. It has to be so that you get down time they have an understanding of how important it is because people start to lose their you know what if they don't get downtime I did that myself um, so I live in a state where they gave me respite and I sometimes just didn't put the effort in to go and get the respite I didn't prioritize it I'm begging you not to do that our kids need us long term so we have to be around to make that happen and this is how we take the baby steps to make that happen so you've got if if you've identified the thing that you want to be able to do and you've identified why you want to be able to do it and you're still having a hard time figuring out the way to problem solve it I'm gonna guess that it's because you have no respite and then that has to be the thing that gets solved first before you can solve when you have the time to do it and this is where we have to get creative it may be that you trade with another autism mom and you say I need to take a shower every two days and I will watch your kid while you meditate if you will watch my kid while I take a shower. It won't cost you anything. You'll be doing a favor for somebody else and you'll be finding the way to do it. It may be that you go to your mother-in-law who drives you just absolutely batty and you say to her, I really need you because I need to have 10 minutes to myself to do X, Y, or Z. And if you could give me that time to do that, it would mean so much to me and make sure you keep the praise on. It may be the thing that turns the corner with your mother-in-law who drives you batty, right? It may be that it's just the discussion that you have with your significant other and give them an opportunity to say what they need time and energy to be able to do. But if we don't say something and we don't find the time, we will, first of all, harm ourselves uh, create a stressful situation for ourselves and we will find ourselves in the dreaded resentment. Oy, nobody wants to be there. So we hold hands with this. Uh, I'm going to make you accountable for this. So find, find what the activity is, what your why is, why you want to do it and problem solve how you have it. And if you need to solve the respite, it doesn't have to be five hours of respite. It might just be 15 minutes, right? Um, but it has to be solved just for this one thing. And this one thing has to happen at least once a week, at least once a week. And it's possible that it's something that has to happen every day. So I'd love it if you guys would write to us and let us know what you decided to pick and how you decided to go about it. But let's make some time for ourselves for that self-care. It's super important. We're going to take a break and be right back after these messages. Hi, I'm Bryce Myler and I'm the Contracts Director for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I've been here for about five years. CARD has several employees with many years of insurance experience uh, dealing with insurance, dealing with pre-authorizations, dealing with discovering whether there's coverage or not. So we have more experience than any ABA provider that I've ever come across. So for, for a prospective client, somebody that may be interested in you know ABA therapy and what CARD has to offer, we have a special 800 number um, and you call that number. They will talk to you about what we have to offer. 
uh, how ABA works. He'll ask you for the front and back of your ID card, and then we check to see if you do or do not have coverage. If you have coverage for ABA therapy, we try to do whatever we can to set it up where we can bill for you and you don't have to fight with the insurance company every month to get your claims paid. For California residents, we recently did a series of insurance trainings all over the state and you can click on the link below to watch pretty much the full presentation. It has a lot of information how you can get your insurance company to, to comply with what they're supposed to do, uh, understanding the networks and many other um, valuable pieces of information. talking about adaptive skills, I wanted to take just a couple of minutes here at the end of the program to talk about one of the biggest example of an adaptive skill that has the ability to change the life of an individual and all the individuals who are around them. And of course, I'm talking about toileting. And here's the thing that I want you to know about toileting. So often as families, when we're facing toileting with a child that seems to have difficulties in learning different things and multitask things, uh, we, we get a fear that it's not going to happen. And there are enough things in society to suggest to us that have children on the autism spectrum that there's a possibility that our child won't get it. That certainly was uh, put to me that, you know, um, I remember very distinctly talking to somebody about the fact that my two-year-old had been diagnosed with autism and they said, oh, don't worry. I have a friend who has a child who's doing so well and he has autism. And I said, really tell me more. I want to know because the child was 15 and I wanted to know what does it look like when a child is doing really well with autism and she said you know he's great he's still not toilet trained but he's doing so well and I wanted to die in that moment if that was doing really well and he was 15 and he wasn't toilet training it told me a lot in that moment about what I might be facing but oh, there's a lot of misinformation that's out there about toileting and what I want you to know is that all the experts that we've ever had on this show and we've done over 500 episodes now all of them talk about toilet training and say the same thing. It's possible we can do it with virtually anyone unless there's a medical issue that's preventing it, a specific physical medical issue that's preventing it. We're going to be able to teach these individuals on the autism spectrum how to toilet themselves. Boom, it's going to happen. And they talk about it with an assurance and authority that I always go, oh my goodness, we need to make sure that everybody knows this because there are so many people around the world who are still struggling with toileting and it doesn't matter whether the child is four or it's a 44 year old right um, our experts tell us this is something that there is a systematic way um, that has been proven time and time again that you know yes with individuals we have to change some of the factors just a little bit but we know we're going to get it done with some it will be quicker others it will be slower but we're going to accomplish it. So if you are watching this program and you have a child who's on the autism spectrum and you have a fear that the toilet training isn't going to happen, let's say that you have a two or a three-year-old and you haven't started toilet training yet, but you have this fear that it's not going to happen, I want to give you the gift of assurance today. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I want you to try at least, I know how hard it is to accept that and go, okay, that's one of the things that I don't have to worry about. That doesn't mean I don't have to work on it. Lots of things to do to work on it, to get your child prepared for toilet training, but I don't have to stress about it. This isn't one of those things that there's a question mark. It's going to happen. 
um, and feel the gift of that because it's a powerful, powerful thing. If you have a child that you've already tried all kinds of things for toilet training and let's say that they're four and older and you feel as though you've been beat up and you, you know, you've heard it all, you've seen it all, you've tried it all. I want to tell you that you haven't, you haven't seen it all. You haven't tried it all. Maybe one aspect of what you were doing was working in one way, but there was one aspect that just needs to be shored up. So we've done multiple videos here about toilet training with multiple experts. Uh, they all describe a method that's Fox and Azrin and the multiple studies done on these, this kind of toilet training. It's something that you need to look at those videos. You can go to our YouTube page, put in toileting or toilet training or potty training and take a look at the videos that are there. They're available to you for free. You can go on IBT and you can get a very specific toilet training video. Um, and that one you'll need to pay for, but I guarantee you it'll be worth it because it'll explain it start to finish and give you a really good uh, understanding of what to do. But I want to inject you and infuse you with the hope that it's going to happen. It is going to happen. You may need more support. Uh, you know, we, we talk about when you decide to do toilet training, it really is one of those things you have to go all in for a period of days and say, this is what we're working on. And we're not working on anything else during that time. We're not having Aunt Agnes visit. We're not deciding to, you know, teach the dog how to do something that day. It's not the week that we're studying for the SATs for our older child. It's not the week that we're getting on a plane to go to, you know, uh, Uncle Joey's wedding, you know, we're clearing the decks and saying we're going to work on the toilet training. And we're very clear about what our expectations are. And we've done all the groundwork before we got there. But I guarantee you, you're going to be successful. Our kids will toilet. And think for a moment about the change that occurs when that happens. And if you don't know, uh, you know, talk to a parent of a child on the autism spectrum and talk about how different their life is before toileting and after successful toileting. It's amazing because your child is able to fit in in a different way that they couldn't before. Your child feels it. They absolutely have an awareness of themselves at that point, the success of the grin that kids get when they get it and they do it and they do it without fear is priceless. So it's that self-esteem that we're always trying to build. It makes them want to do more things where they're taking it. It fosters that big boy, big girl kind of feeling. Um, it is such a powerful thing, such a very powerful thing. It's a gift that we want to give to all of our kids. And then as a family, being able to go and do things, it's so important that you teach toilet training with, with a mind to generalization so that your child isn't just able to go in the potty at home. Uh, make sure that if you're doing on skills that you're looking towards generalization so that they can pee in literally any potty anywhere in the world and do so successfully. It's such, such a treat. When I think about now when I travel with my son and that I don't have to stress about that <laughs> at all, it's, it's absolutely life-changing for everyone involved. Uh, one of my son's favorite things, I digress, but uh, we had to do a lot of flying last year. And as we would go into different airports, the bathrooms are set up vastly different. If you go to Chicago O'Hare Airport, they have that automatic toilet thing that it wraps the toilet seat for you. In California, we have those little paper things that you put on the toilet seat. And in New York, they have nothing. <laughs> 
I don't know what that's about. Um, but my son was noticing that and he was going, you know, it's so funny how people, you know, treat the toilet in different states. And he would always say, what state are we in? Because he was fascinated. It was sort of like when I was a kid, how we would drive someplace and look at the different license plates. He was interested in what do we do about the toilet? Uh, I found it fascinating. Anyway, um, but toileting, it's the, it's the gift that keeps on giving. There are so many different things about it that are absolutely fabulous. So have that assurance and get the help and support that you need, but know you're going to, it's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. Okay. So, uh, we're almost out of time here. We're at the end of the week and lots to tell you about what's happening next week. Next week is really going to be a very remarkable week on Tuesday alone. Here's our starter lineup for Tuesday. We have Lisa Ackerman is going to be back joining us to talk about, because we didn't get to it today, advocacy, but Lisa's going to be with us to talk about um, the Autism Cares bill that we're hoping is going to pass in the Senate so that there will be more funding. She's got some really important information she wants to tell you about why it's so important to you and what you can be doing to make sure that your senators pass this into law. Uh, uh, then we're going to have a really special, I mentioned earlier that we've got some new segments coming up for you, especially for those of you whose Spanish is your first language. We heard from one of our viewers about a very special reporter in Panama. His name is Alvar Alvarado. I hope I'm saying that properly, but he is a very popular reporter in Panama and he has been speaking out and doing some stories about autism and really making some waves in Panama and has been hailed as a hero by many Panamanian parents of children on the autism spectrum. Well, we're thrilled because he's going to be joining us via Skype on Tuesday. And since uh, my Spanish is deplorable and uh, we want to make sure that we have a good conversation, we are going to have a really wonderful guest with us who's going to help to translate. And he's going to be talking with us a little bit about some more programming that we're going to be doing featuring Spanish language. Very excited about that. So that's going to be on Tuesday. And then we also have a young woman who has done her PhD and is going to be talking with us about the importance of teaching our children through the use of stories. You probably have heard of social stories, um, which is a brand name for a particular type. But the idea of using a story to be able to educate has been around since Homer. Let's be honest about it. So it's a very effective uh, way of teaching. And she's got sort of a new take on it. So Megan White is going to be with us. And then a little bit later on in the week, we are going to have a representative from the autism site who's been doing, they've been doing some amazing things on the autism site. So that plus our regulars next week, it, it's shaping up to be a great week. And we're hoping to find time to get Mike Hipple to join us too, because he's got an event coming up in Wisconsin that he wants to talk to us about. And Mike, I want to talk to you about it too. So all of that and ever so much more. I want to thank you for this time together. I can't tell you how much I enjoy this time together. And I know some of you have written and said it's like uh, sitting and talking with some girlfriends. And that's exactly how I feel with some nice guys involved as well, uh, where we're all learning. So uh, continue with us. Definitely tune in Tuesday. It's going to be a great show. Until then, please give your kiddos a big hug for me and one for you as well. Bye bye for now.